0: Welcome guys and gals to The Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Joining me today is Dr. Maureen McGrath, and we are going to talk all about sex. This whole episode, it's a little bit longer than usual, uh, is going to be... Really, almost about every avenue of sex um, possible. So whew, get ready. Uh, so Maureen is the host of the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, uh, a lively, very lively educational listener call-in radio show every Sunday at 8 p.m. on 980 a.m. And I've actually been on her show before. Fun fact, I was on her show a couple of years ago um, before we both shared the stage at TEDx. Uh, Stanley Park in Vancouver. Uh, so Maureen is a leading sexual health educator and advocate and blogger. Uh, she is well recognized voice in health and sexuality. Uh, and she is a uh, nursing expert witness in pediatrics and spinal cord injury and has acted for both the plaintiff and defense. And she is a sought after speaker on the subject of sexuality, relationships, uh, workplace bullying through keynotes, panel presentations. And as an emcee, she's been featured on Global TV, Joy TV, Shaw TV, Elle Magazine, Best Health Magazine, and countless other publications that I won't name here. Uh, She really is an advocate of taking the taboo out of uh, sex and intimacy. And she educates about sexual health, how it relates to overall uh, health and mental health, Um, by making relationships the best that they can possibly be. So this is a really big, uh, dense podcast. We talk about a lot. So one thing that I want to preface um, before I dive into this is that I would strongly encourage you to listen to this episode with your partner because you might have some interesting um, conversations that come out of this dialogue. So a few things that we touch on and talk about. We talk about uh, sexless marriage and how a lot of relationships actually end up um, not having a lot of sex in them. So a sexless marriage is uh, a relationship that uh, where the couple only has sex uh, roughly 10 times or less per year. Uh, which is, you know, a little shocking, but I think there's a, there's maybe more people out there that experience that than we care to admit. So we talk about the sexist marriage. We talk about uh, sexual shame that both men and women face so that we can understand both sides of the coin. Uh, we dive into being able to broach the subject of specific fantasies that uh, you might want to explore within your partnership. Um, We talk about premature ejaculation and what causes it. We talk about delayed ejaculation and what causes that. Uh, We talk about the female orgasm and what what we need to know about women's orgasms. Um, So we really dive into a number of topics that I haven't really covered on this show, but it's a very interesting conversation and one that I think is definitely beneficial for a lot of people. So regardless of whether you're single, regardless of whether you are married or in an open relationship, what your sexual orientation is, this is an incredible, incredible conversation all about sex. So before I bring Maureen on, just a quick reminder to all the guys, uh, if you want to have more conversations about some of these topics, definitely head on over to Facebook and join the Man Talks community. We've got a ton of amazing men there that have incredible conversations like this on a daily basis. And hold one another accountable. Uh, And don't forget to check out the Alliance. I am running an incredible program for men starting in November. And there are men from all over the world that have started to sign up for this program. Uh, And it's, it's absolutely amazing. We've had a ton of guys that have gone through it before. Um, And we talk about purpose. We talk about mindset. We talk about relationships, sex, intimacy, you name it. We dive into it. So um, head on over to Mantalks.com and check out the Alliance there. So without any further delay, please welcome Dr. Maureen McGrath.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Connor. I'm a huge fan of your work around man talks.
0: Likewise, likewise. I've been wanting to interview you for years now since we spoke on stage at TEDx. Your talk was absolutely phenomenal. I got to come on your radio show before we did it. And um, you know, your 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 talk and your message seems to resonate with a lot of people. And uh, what's what's your TED talk at now? I think last time I checked, it was at like 12 million views or something like that. It was kind of crazy.
1: Oh, well, it's just surpassed 17 million. Whew.
0: All right. All right. So we're going we're gonna to talk all about sex and relationships today, specifically sex uh, and some of the challenges that people face. But I first want to ask you the question that I ask all my guests, which is tell us a, def- a story about a defining moment that made you who you are today.
1: Well, I would have to look back to a time when I was doing sexual health research uh, at a local academic research center here in Vancouver and the BC Center for Sexual Medicine. And we were doing a research study on hypoactive sexual desire disorder in women or low sexual desire in women who were in committed relationships who love their partner, but who had not had sex for at least six months previously. So we did exclude women who are on antidepressants because those women will have Uh, sexual side effects and low sexual desire is one of them. One of the flaws of the study was that it was limited to heterosexual relationships. So when I put an ad in the local paper here, I got about 500 responses from women. And most of the women said, your ad spoke to me. They were in a committed relationship. They loved their partner, but they didn't want to have sex with their partner. So when I went on to invite these women into the BC Center for Sexual Medicine and interview them, most of the women said the exact same thing to me. Although they had not had sex with their husbands or their partners for six months, two years, three years, five years, eight years in one case, they said that the men in their lives were patient. Now, this surprised me because it flies in the face of conventional wisdom and It is not supported by the literature. Men typically are not patient around that. There are risks to a sexless marriage, infidelity, masturbation, pornography, and there are risks to a relationship big risks. And so that is really the nucleus of the work that I do.
0: Incredible. And, you know, I think that there's so much value in that. And, and you know, we're going to dive into a lot of these topics, you know, around sex, masturbation, porn, those types of things. But I think where I, I would love to start is just just this, you know, this, this conversation of, you know, a sexless marriage or, or just a, a sexless relationship. So what constitutes or, or classifies as a, as a sexless relationship?
1: A sexless marriage is defined by the experts as sex less than 10 times a year. So that's pretty infrequent. Uh, since around the normal, which everybody is expecting, you know, what they are wondering what the norm is. And the norm typically is you know, one to two times a week, depending on where you are at your stage in your relationship, your age and your stage in life. So there's a number of factors that also dictate how frequent couples are engaging in sex.
0: Okay. Yeah. That that makes sense. And And what are some of the contributing factors that I'm sure that there's many, but what are some of the contributing factors that lead to sexless marriages?
1: Well, there's a laundry list and I don't want to forget to point out that it's not exclusively women who are responsible for sexless marriages, many men actually experience low sexual desire as well. And when a woman is rejected, if you will, by her husband, her male partner in the bedroom, it hurts that much more because we have this perception out there that all men want is sex. And so if all men want sex, why doesn't my man want to have sex with me? So it can even be more hurtful. And I heard from a lot of women after that TEDx talk uh, about their stories about how men rejected them. Um, But there's a number of reasons. Fatigue is the number one reason for low sexual desire in women. But finances are a very contentious issue in a relationship. And so many couples fight about Uh, money. And if you have relationship troubles, it can lead to a sexless marriage. The length of time you're in the relationship can lead to boredom in the bedroom. So we see that in long-term relationships and long-term relationships these days, they can be two years, three years, four years. Uh, So, or it can be 20 years or 30 years. I have people emailing me that they're in sexless marriages for 28 years or more. Um, Many people have substance use disorder. That can be the person who desires sex, or it can be the person who doesn't desire sex. There are medical conditions, depression, uh, erectile dysfunction, thyroid disease is related to sexual arousal and sexual interest. One of the biggest ones is sexual abuse of women, sexual assault as a child, rape. Um, when When a woman has been sexually abused as a child, She can perceive sex as dirty. She hates sex, and that can affect her sexual desire, even in a loving, committed relationship. So there are a number of reasons why uh, women don't want to have sex and why men don't want to have sex. Also, the lack of education, lack of appropriate sexual health education of our children may contribute to a sexist marriage. Social media, lack of intimacy, pornography. Chronic masturbation, a history of infidelity, the list goes on and on. How much time do we have, Connor?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> I was like, that is, that is definitely, you know, that's longer than like my grocery list right there.
1: And one other one, marrying the wrong person. We have mm. these social pressures to marry the right person. Don't marry the guy that you're attracted to that has the tattoos and is on a motorcycle, you know, at the age of 22. He may actually grow up and, and be a very successful person. Marry the guy that you're not attracted to because your parents are more comfortable with you marrying that person because he comes from a good home, has a good job and drives the right car. But he may be an alcoholic who abuses you. you know, so it's really important to marry the person that you connect with on a sexual level, on an intimate level, on a spiritual level. That is critical. And it's up to you. It's not up to your family or your parents.
0: Yeah, I I love that. I love that. Just you know, straight out the gates, <laughs> straight out the gates. Just just laying it down. And one of the things that I think really sort of epitomizes everything that you just talked about is the amount of shame that people experience when it comes to sex and intimacy, even within a relationship, which is where you know, which is where we should experience the least amount of shame, you would think contextually, but it seems to be where a lot of our sexual shame comes forward. And so I'm curious from your from your research, from the work that you've done with couples, you know, not that there is one gender that experiences more shame or less shame, but I would imagine that men and women experience different types of shame around sex. So, Can you give a can you speak to that a little bit and kind of give us some context around some of the some of the shame that maybe women experience that guys don't really think about?
1: Sure. Uh, Women experience a lot of shame around their bodies. (laughs) Body image is huge. So they're embarrassed about it. They're embarrassed about a patch of fat on their thigh or their abdomen. Uh, I've seen women in my clinical practice who think that you can have sex without taking your clothes off. Um, People, women have sex in the dark. Women are ashamed around sex if they have been sexually assaulted as a child or sexually abused by their best friend's father, for example. And so sex to them is dirty. Sex is awful. And they are extremely ashamed. They feel that they are dirty, that they are damaged goods. So they have a lot of shame around that. We slut shame women in society. Women do that. It's one of the problems of the sisterhood, which needs a lot of work. So I hope you do sister talks one time (laughs) in the future. (laughs) Um, So women slut shame other women and men slut shame women, which is strange because both women and men want to have sex with women. And so, you know, for men, it's okay to have as much sex as men want, you know, it's another notch. On the bedpost, it's another, you know, addition to the belt. There we, here we go. Add them up, and there's no shaming. And in fact, men are admired the more sex that they have. Uh, so women have a lot of shame around if they enjoy sex, if they, and many women enjoy sex, but it's a big secret. They are because they're not allowed. Uh, to enjoy sex because religion has put negative connotations on on sex for women. We live in a very patriarchal society, and that affects women's sexuality. And, and one of the things I want to say about men's shame, and, and women too, if women are not allowed to express their true sexuality because of family pressures or because of society's norms and mores or politics or whatever, that will also lead to shame. That's another reason people marry the wrong person. Many men, who are uh, not heterosexual, who are homosexual, because their parents would be ashamed of that, then therefore they pass that shame onto them. They may marry a woman when they actually are in love with a man. Um, Sexuality is fluid. There are times when a woman can be attracted to a man, and then she may be attracted to a woman, but society shames this. And so People take this on and they feel shame when they're not allowed to express their own sexuality.
0: Yeah, so, so fascinating. I think we, you know, I think I definitely want to go in into how we actually start to um, allow that, that sexual expression to come forward in our relationships as individuals, as men, as women. Um, but, uh, you know, I think one of the things that you touched on there is quite interesting, you know, in, in and around how we sort of covet the sexually pure woman in some ways, you know, and that men are are more expected to go out and get experience, um, which sort of creates like a catch 22, you know, (laughs) like it it sort of creates like a bit of a problem around actually fulfilling on that. Right.
1: And yet many men are violent toward women and many women have experienced sexual abuse and rape at the hands of men. And so it is such a contradiction because, yes, you're right, men and society covets that pure woman, yet we are ravaging violence on women. Men are doing that every single day. One woman every 90 seconds in the U.S. is sexually assaulted by a man. So something is wrong.
0: Yeah, and so okay, so that brings us to the sexual shame that a lot of men have, which is, um, you know, I, I feel like there's there's a good amount of uh, revealing here that I that I think is is needed. So, what's from your work, from your experience in working with men, and and you know, I'll weigh on in this a little bit from my experience, but from your experience, what's some of the sexual shame that that you've witnessed in men?
1: Well, men guess at what normal is. Number one, I will have to say that, and we see that in a lot of adult children of alcoholics, because they guess at what normal is in life. And so they guess at what normal is in their intimate relationships as well. And also because sex is such a taboo subject, it's not discussed or men have not been educated appropriately around sex. I also see uh, men who have been sexually assaulted as children, sexually abused or raped, And they feel that they are at fault. They feel they're at fault because they are the man. Masculinity is important. They are the power gender. They should have power over somebody else. What if they enjoyed it? Did they think they enjoyed it? They got an erection. They were aroused. They are, they have tremendous shame around this and they may enter into a relationship with a man or a woman and This will impact that relationship because that is on, that rumination is on repeat constantly in their heads and it may lead them to infidelity. It may lead them to substance use and abuse or a substance use disorder. And so that is um, one of the big issues around shame. And then the other piece is marrying the wrong person because their family uh, was very embarrassed or, or that, you know homosexuality doesn't exist in certain cultures. It exists in every culture. We need to view it as expression of our own sexuality, our own preferences, as long as it's mutual and consenting and we're not harming anybody. But many people just expect everybody to fall into that man and woman, two children, house in the suburbs, car in the driveway. Doesn't happen.
0: It's not reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's. It, it, I think those three points are are really powerful, and and one of the, one of the things that I think kind of stands out in there, it, it kind of ties into what I've seen is that a lot of men experience shame around their performance. Is that they feel this pressure. I think this ties into your first point around what's normal, but a lot of men have you know normalized pornography, and so they feel this immense amount of pressure to perform in a very specific way. And to sort of bring that into the bedroom, to bring that into their sex life. And and I think that they have shame around, you know, when they don't live up to this sort of two hour, uh, you know, crazy, uh, crazy, like pornographic experience that they have envisioned or that they've watched time and time and time again. And and they're always trying to live up to that. So where does where does sexual performance play into Um, play into the dynamic between men and women in the bedroom?
1: Well, uh, it's probably the number one issue, sexual health issue for men is performance anxiety you know, and, and nobody's going to last two hours because, uh, (laughs) because of this performance anxiety and they think they're the only one that experiences this performance anxiety. A lot of the performance anxieties blamed, of course, on the mother, because, you know, when men were self-exploring as, as adolescents, um, you know, they wanted to get it over with quickly because their mother was coming into their room with laundry or something like that. So of course, just another reason to blame a woman for men's issues um you know, anxiety contributes to that. You're right, pornography contributes to that. And then when they're rejected by the woman who says, you know, I'm no porn star. What what are you trying to do here? Uh this isn't intimacy, this isn't lovemaking. Um, then they feel more shame on top of that. And you know, men have shame around talking about this. They have nobody to talk to. There was a gentleman in my clinical practice and he had some issues with his father, and he had some issues around sexual dysfunction and and also infidelity. And, and he said, you know, there's nobody I can speak to openly about these issues that I'm having, you know, except for you, because it's in confidence. And, um, you know, I'm obviously bound by uh, professional responsibility of privacy and confidentiality. Um, but, you know, I thought, wow, this is one man, you know, how many men out there, are afraid to talk about their issues. They're going to be they're going to be embarrassed by their friends. Their friends are going to make fun of them. The friends are going to claim they don't have the same issues when when they all do. Um, but you know nobody knows where to turn, which is why the work that you're doing around man talks is so critical.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. I have a lot of guys reach out and share. I mean, I have a lot of clients that have gone through sexual trauma and or you know are struggling with some form of. Uh, sexual challenge within their relationship, even if it's just something as simple as you know they're struggling to connect with an intimacy but um it it's a huge topic you know it's a huge huge topic, and so you know i i appreciate this conversation because I think it's gonna support a lot of people and I hope that you know I hope that whoever's listening to this that they bring their partner into this, you know that they actually share this uh this conversation with their partner so okay so so that's a little bit about about sexual shame and uh, you know how how women experience it, and and some of the pieces around uh, sexual shame for women and sexual shame uh, for guys. Um, what are some of the things that that can lead to that this shame can lead to in terms of dysfunction within the relationship?
1: Well, one of the big things is that, uh, especially if you don't talk about it with your partner, is it can lead to infidelity. So when you have low sexual desire in a relationship, and you have a sexless marriage, and and your partner is always saying, "Oh, all you want is sex," or or a woman is being rejected by a man, you know many women and men want to check out that they're okay if somebody makes a comment to them that they that they look nice or um, that or thanks them for something or you know a simple statement, and it can actually lead to you know somebody cares about me, so they. People may have this shame in their relationship because they're being rejected or because they feel lonely in the relationship. And it's a great risk for infidelity or uh, viewing pornography on a chronic basis. You know, so it can lead to many other things. It can lead to substance use. It can lead to loneliness. It can lead to an early death because loneliness elevates peripheral vascular resistance and increases your blood pressure. So you have a greater risk of stroke. This is really a health issue when there's a lack of intimacy in a relationship.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I know that there was a, a study done uh, through Harvard over seventy-five years that followed a few thousand men around and found that that the quality of their relationships, the depth of their relationships was actually the the greatest predictor for for happiness and for the longevity in their life and the greatest predictor for um, you know, a, a reduction in major health issues like uh, heart disease of, of of any kind. So, it is incredibly important. Um, when it when it comes to actually being able to open up and and begin to express ourselves, because you know we've kind of talked about some of the challenges and blocks that individuals face, and I, you know I think that there's so many so many challenges and blocks that people face when when it comes to actually being able to open up and ask for what they want sexually within a relationship or just being able to enjoy what they want sexually in a relationship um where Where do people start? Where do they start to explore and how do they start to explore the this sort of depth or fringes of of their sexuality like what What would you recommend if you were working with a couple? And they hadn't really ever voiced um, their own sexual desires or, or really explored them.
1: You know, it sounds cliche, but communication is the most critical aspect of a relationship, whether it be in the bedroom or about your bank account or about your babies or when you want to have babies. Uh, and we don't talk to each other as couples. And, you know, to be honest with you, North Americans are the worst <laughs> in, the, in the global surveys. <laughs> And so people don't know what to say. They are also so afraid that they will be judged by their partner if they uh, have a desire or have a particular sexual fantasy that they want to play out with the person that they love. And so it really depends on how acrimonious the relationship is, and it can be troubled because there's been a lack of intimacy. And so it may lead people to go outside of the relationship. A lot of the work that I do is providing mantras to people, And so I, I tell them what to say, or I give them words. You know, I I don't actually say, say exactly this. I say, in your words, express this sentiment to your wife and, you know, or your husband. And, you know, it starts out slowly and it's a little bit of a test and it's a comfort level. And it's also, you know, you want to talk to your partner at the right time. You want to talk to your husband and wife at the right time, not just before dinner, not when it's crazy, not when you're putting the kids to bed, certainly not in the bedroom. You know, you you might want to just say, you know, I'd like to for us to sit down, have a glass of wine, have a nice dinner, you know, and chat about, you know, the temperature of our relationship, check in on, on how you're doing, how I'm doing so that it's non-threatening and, you know, really expressing the love for one another and the gratitude and appreciation. So it's a really, it's really a soft start. It'll get harder
0: later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna say, <laughs> no pun, or maybe pun intended. I don't know. That was a great, that was a great innuendo. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's interesting, right? Because I, I think that what happens when couples start expressing themselves, and maybe one person, because uh, I can imagine that as couples start to ex- explore, as one person really starts to explore their sexuality, can be very, very confronting for the other person. And uh, I'm curious how people deal with a, a, a mismatch in, in sexual desire. Cause it's something that I hear a lot from, from both men and women is like, Oh, I want sex more than he does, or I want sex more than she does. And I'm curious how people can start to bridge that gap. Cause I would imagine that a lot of that has to do with, with um, you know, trauma or has to do with shame around sex. So what, what's some advice or insight that you can shed on, on that area?
1: Well, you know, there are very few things that are normal in life, but I think one thing that is normal is desire discrepancy. Just like you're not going to get two people that look alike, you're not going to get people who have the same level of desire at the same time all the time. Very, very rare. And it's because there are so many circumstances that affect one's sexual desire. So first of all, accepting the desire discrepancy in the couple understanding and having a chat conversation about when would be the best time for us to have sex. And that, again, depends on where you are in life. Are you working inside and outside of the home? Who's doing the lion's share of the housework? What are the, where are the kids at? What, what is bothersome uh, to you? When is your, you know, what are your preferred things to do? Is it a quickie? Is it, you know, would you rather spend longer languid hours in the bedroom on, on the weekend uh, or, you know, versus a few quickies during the week? Um, so it's really about choice and about conversation, about making that time. and actually, this sounds really unsexy uh and not spontaneous. And we have this idea that sex always has to be spontaneous, and it rarely is. so you have to schedule a sex it's um it's very important, otherwise, it just falls off the bed if you will
0: <laughs> yeah I, I I like that one and and I think that you know when you when you do prioritize it in that way, when you're actually putting it forward in that way. This simple act of of maybe prioritizing it and scheduling it in might make it more accessible in in the long run because you've actually made it a priority and it's you're sort of like telling yourself and your partner and your spouse that that is something that that you all want to engage in. So um, and that's right. You, that's, you
1: bring up a great point. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you.
0: No, no, no. Go ahead. Um,
1: you bring up a great point about sexual desire. I mentioned earlier that women are not educated properly around sex. And so we, there's something that you know most women have never heard of, which is the female sexual response cycle. Men have a sexual response cycle as well. They're, the original one by Masters and Johnson, where they studied this in labs with people actually having sex in the 50s, it's a linear model. Desire comes first. So we have this in our heads that you have to have desire first before you have arousal or excitement, lubrication, plateau, and orgasm. Not the case, especially in the busy lives in which we lead today. And so, you know, typically after you've been with the same person for 5, 10, 15 years, no, desire doesn't necessarily come first. Arousal comes first. And so we have a model developed by Dr. Rosemary Basson here at the BC Center for Sexual Medicine And she, where she describes that you don't feel like having sex for any one of a number of reasons, but you do for any one of a number of reasons and you begin to be sexual with your partner and you start to enjoy it and you get aroused and you get lubricated and you may experience an orgasm if you're one of the fortunate 33% of women who do. We call that responsive desire. So in other words, desire emerges out of arousal. And so sometimes my advice is just do it, (laughs) just have sex with your partner. If you enjoy it, you know, that's okay. That's responsive desire. That's what is expected.
0: Mm, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's great. And I think that, again, that, that goes back to your point about communication is that at some point we just need to be able to communicate openly about those things and, and move into a space of, you know, I, I feel like sex is very glamorized, you know, especially in, in Hollywood, it's sort of like this hot and bothered thing. And, and I think both men and women bring their own stigmas and, you know, fantasies to the table about what it should look like. Actually, th- there's a good question. What what are some of the differences that you've noticed in terms of the, you know, fantasy or or expectation? Let's just call it expectation fantasies between men and women. And what are some of the differences between the two?
1: Well, even talking about sex, you know, uh, many people I think would be surprised, men and women and they alike, would be surprised that uh women the number one sexual fantasy for women is being lightly tied up. a lot of women have that fantasy and yet they're afraid to say that you know there's other fantasies about uh, being naked having sex in public um, there's other fantasies about pornography um for for women so men and both men and women experience fantasy they the most common between couples the most the person that they are thinking about in a fantasy way is their own partner. So that would be a surprise for a lot of people. That's research done by Justin Lee Miller. And and so really the person your husband is fantasizing about is you (laughs) most of the time. Uh, So it may be a little bit more exciting sex that he or she is experiencing or thinking about um, that, that they, he or she would like uh, to experience with you. Um, But both men and women fantasize, and that's critical, especially in terms of diagnosing a condition known as HSDD or FSIAD, hypoactive sexual desire disorder in women, or what is now what has come to be called or defined in the DSM-5, which is the Bible for sexual dysfunctions, uh, female sexual interest and arousal disorder. So... uh, If you aren't having fantasies, if you aren't thinking about sex, it's actually one of the criteria for making a diagnosis of a medical condition for women.
0: Can you just say that again? Just like that's, (laughs) I was like, what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, there's a medical condition that used to be called HSDD, hypoactive sexual desire disorder in women. It's now called FSIAD, female sexual interest and arousal disorder. And one of the criteria for diagnosing that is that women lack sexual fantasies or sexual thoughts. So, if, if a woman's mind is blank of sexual fantasy or thought, or she saw somebody that was attractive and didn't think about didn't think about being sexual with that person, so so in a way, fantasy or thinking about sex is healthy and normal. Mm-hmm. So, you may have a medical condition if you have not. Had uh, sexual interests or had not had sex for six months, if you have no sexual thoughts or fantasies. Um, so, this can be a medical condition known as FSIAD, Female Sexual Interest and Arousal Disorder.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Because I think, you know, I think a lot of guys, you know, we can only experience ourselves. And so, we, you know, there's a lot of research and a lot of data out there that, that shows that men think about sex quite a bit. Um, and so, you know, and, and I think that a lot of men, you know, they, they sometimes feel shame around that stigma and, and, and stereotype. And I think that oftentimes I've, I've heard a lot of guys talk about how they, they don't think that women, uh you know, think about sex as often or, or even remotely close, like that's that women think, think about sex very infrequently and very irregularly. And that it's, it's, um you know, sort of a, uh, an odd thing for a woman to think about sex or fantasize about sex. So I think, you know, for guys to hear that is is sort of contrary to what they may believe. So what you're saying is that <laughs> that women do think about sex quite a bit, or, or maybe more than the average guy would think that they do.
1: And if they're not thinking about sex, it could be a medical diagnosis. So a woman... Uh, the FSIAD or female sexual interest and in arousal disorder is defined in the DSM five, the Bible for sexual dysfunction as lack of or significantly reduced sexual interest in arousal. And a woman must have three of the following six symptoms to receive the diagnosis. So she has absence, absent or reduced interest in sexual activity, reduced sexual thoughts or fantasies, no or reduced initiation of sexual activity, so they're not initiating. That's a big issue for men. They often complain that women never initiate, initiate sex. They are also unreceptive to their partner's attempts to initiate, and they have absent or reduced sexual excitement or pleasure in almost every sexual encounter, or they have absent or reduced interest or arousal in response to any internal or external sexual cues. So something on TV. They also uh, may experience absent or reduced genital or non-genital sensations during sexual activity. So they're not having satisfying sexual events. And these must occur in, in all or almost all sexual encounters. Now, for example, I had a patient in my clinical practice and she said to me, I thought I had low sexual desire. I thought I had this female sexual interest arousal disorder. She said, and then with my husband. And she said, but then I went to New York and I met a guy there. And she said, and my sexual arousal interest is fine. (laughs) So this had led her outside of the bedroom. She had some issues in the relationship, which she didn't realize were contributing to her low sexual desire with her partner. One of which was boredom in the bedroom. It was a long-term relationship. But so it's important. And so that's why that sexual boredom is also a piece of this as well. This is very complex. And uh, but women definitely think about sex. And if they don't, it could be a problem
0: yeah interesting very very interesting and and so you know in in terms of creating that that type of intimacy that we want within the bedroom and and being able to actually have these conversations with with our partner uh, you know it sounds like what you're saying is that it's it's incredibly important, and that when we don't do it that the outcome is often that that we start to look elsewhere and one of the things that really stood out for me about your your ted talk was the saying uh, women cheat to stay and men cheat or sorry women cheat to leave and men cheat to stay uh, some some iteration of that's that that's right and and i'm curious if you can unpack that because it definitely landed for me you know i've seen a lot of men who are unfaithful and in some way in some way they're doing it because they're they're not getting their needs met within the relationship they don't know how to communicate those needs or they've tried communicating them in their in their perspective but but can't seem to get them met and so they start to to look elsewhere. And so, um, can you unpack that statement a little bit for us?
1: Sure. You know, men typically like the comfort of the marriage. They like the home. They don't want to. They don't want to divide the their assets in half. They like their their country clubs. They like the neighbors, the in laws, the children. You know, they're happy chatting, having conversations with their wives, but they may not be getting the sex that they need or so desire or that which makes them feel like a man. And so they seek it elsewhere, which is why you've heard so many times uh, when women are having affairs with married men and and women will say, well, he's going to leave when his children graduate from high school. He's going to leave. And you think, well, how old are his children? Well, they're three and four. Okay, that's a long time away. Uh, men typically <laughs> don't leave the marriage because it brings about a whole host of problems, especially if they have been divorced in the past. They know, they they lose a lot of their assets, as do the women. You know, divorce is very, very hard on children. It's very hard with your social relationships. It's very hard in a number of different ways, and and so, but women, uh, you know, they've they've left the marriage emotionally. If they've started to go outside of the relationship, they've typically left by that stage. They've processed it internally. They've gained the confidence. They've talked to their friends. They've they've started on this path outside. Um, or or of ending the marriage. Um, It may have been so bad that they couldn't take it. They may want to discover themselves sexually. They may have only ever been with one man. They may realize at the age of 50 that they only have a certain amount of time left. Uh, You know, there's a number of different aha moments, but that's kind of a little bit of a difference, generally speaking, uh, for around infidelity in marriage
0: interesting and so from your perspective from your work uh, and and the research that you've done a lot of infidelity or it sounds like a good a good portion of it is is due to a lack of, of proper uh, or sort of he- what we would classify as healthy uh, sexual uh, intimacy
1: oh it's a it's a big contributing factor something else that i've noticed as well is that women will impose fidelity on a man even while depriving him of sex in the relationship. And so I will say to a woman, you know, I mean, the man will say, I'm not going to cheat on you. I'm not going to leave you. And I think, can you just hold your cards a little tighter to your chest, please? (laughs) Not give everything away. But I'll say to women, if he did cheat on you, what would you do? You know, and they're in a sexless marriage. And, And every single woman will say, I'd kill him. Now and the, and the women are far more suspicious of the men in their lives having affairs. So they, they've got their passwords, they check their computers, they check their phones, they check their social media accounts. Men, on the other hand, and, and women would be incredibly hurt. They feel far more betrayed when their man goes outside of the relationship, even when they haven't had sex for two years. They don't understand that the difference between that. They just feel it's a betrayal. They don't understand the biological, Need or desire or the loneliness factor or whatever—they—they they take no responsibility. Men, on the other hand, can have the evidence that their wife has cheated right in front of them, and they will say, uh, oh, I don't think she's cheating." They don't seem to be as bothered by it either. they, they i don't know if it's because their, you know, feelings is—you um, know—it's a, a bad word <laughs> for men. Um, if they are, you know, don't want to tap into their feelings because it'll be too painful. But they're much easier to forgive. And and they also don't suspect, they don't suspect that the women in their lives is that ego, I don't know, would have gone outside of the relationship. So some very interesting differences between men and women in terms of infidelity.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I what I've I think what I've observed in a lot of men is that it's it's almost like um I don't want to say pride thing, but it 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 comes down to them. Sort of acknowledging and feeling responsible for the dysfunction, you know, and and maybe not necessarily wanting to admit it. Like when when a lot of guys realize that their partner has cheated or has been cheating, um, they you know they feel responsible in some way that it's it's their fault that they've caused it, that they they should have seen it coming, or you know that they had the means or the know how uh, to prevent it, or that somehow they you know they didn't you know quote unquote provide. The type of environment that she was looking for, and so I think a lot of guys actually end up taking on the responsibility, and so it's just easier to to forgive and forget and, and move on, and and hope that it doesn't happen again. I think that that's that's one of the main things that I've seen with a lot of men who have been cheated on, and then and then as you're saying, it's very challenging for them, you know, from an emotional standpoint to be able to feel deeply into that. I think there's there's a lot of shame. For men that have been that have been cheated on, uh, they don't want to go tell their guy friends. they don't want to go tell you know, they don't want anybody to know really. And so it's almost like it's easier for them to hide it than it is for them to to go through the process of uh, sort of ending the relationship and admitting that 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 happened because they would feel responsible for it in some way, which is which is quite interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, that is. I have a couple in my clinical practice that they've separated. But she has, uh, you know, it's also about power, which we haven't even talked about yet. Unhealthy power in relationships. It's always a balance of power, but uh, they've separated. The children know, one sister knows, a friend knows, but they're going to family events as though they're still married because she doesn't, she's so embarrassed. She's so ashamed. She's gone outside of the relationship. She's the one who's been cheating. That Uh, she doesn't want anybody to know. She doesn't want to have to face it. And he's agreed to this. And so this is also part of this sort of unhealthy balance of power that has been existing in that relationship and in many relationships for a long time. And so he has to start to change his acceptance of this imbalance of power. And, you know, why is he going along with things like that? He was also helping her to find a place. She had determined an amount that was an exorbitant amount to live in the fanciest place in the area of where they live, you know, a very expensive place. When they had financial issues, but everything she did or wanted, he gave into, and that is a contribute contributing factor as well uh, to the discord in relationships, and and especially when they end. Yeah, you're right. Men are embarrassed about it, and and will go along to keep it secret.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I think what you're talking about. Well, let let's dive into that then. Let's look at power dynamics within relationships, because I think, you know, oftentimes we are trying to find this this sense of, you know, I I don't think equality is actually like the right word when it comes to power dynamics in relationships. But we're we're trying to find this balance, I guess you could say, of of power in relationships, and. I think it's very challenging for most people to find. And and I think it sometimes causes challenges. So, from your perspective and the work that you've done, the couples that you've worked with, um, what are some of the unhealthy or imbalances within power? And and what's the impact of that?
1: Well, as Oscar Wilde said, everything in the world is related to sex except for sex. Sex is about power. And (laughs) one of the only ways, and it's an unhealthy way, that women have power in the world is in the bedroom. And so many women withhold sex as a power tool. They use sex as their main power tool, whether it be to get something or to control somebody. And so that's a very unhealthy use of power. And they often use that when they feel disempowered or when they feel as though somebody has unhealthy power over them.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. yeah it seems to be so it's it's sort of like a, a a defensive tool but also a tool to sort of go on go in the quote unquote go on the attack
1: absolutely it, it's to gain um, an unhealthy balance in the in the relationship more more power in the relationship, especially if somebody is vulnerable and that comes in to play as well and so vulnerability can be a great thing in the bedroom or it can actually be a very difficult thing. In the relationship as well,
0: yeah, it seems that uh, you know in in especially right now in the times that we're in right now, I think a lot of men you know I, i've I've heard a lot of guys that are saying things like, oh my partner wants me to be more vulnerable and I feel like I am, but you know I'm being told that it what I'm doing isn't right. Uh, how do I do that? what does it actually look like? And there's sort of a a, a hesitancy to be. Very vulnerable, especially sexually. You know, especially to have the courage to be able to to voice like this is you know this is what I want, this is what I you know want you to do to me or or have this happen or this is what I'd like to explore with you. There there is a huge amount of vulnerability in that, and I feel like one of the challenges that guys face, and I'd be curious to get your perspective on this. But one of the challenges that that I hear a lot of men um, communicating that they struggle with is they feel like if they really open up. And, and talk about their sexual fantasies and ask for them and, you know, want to explore those things that they're sort of giving up a huge amount of power that somehow now their, their partner, especially in a heterosexual relationship, has a lot of power and control over them. And that's something that they seem to struggle with. Have, have you witnessed that before? And and how how can people start to address that?
1: Is this in terms of um, them being vulnerable uh, in their relationship?
0: Yeah, vulnerable specifically within the realm of sex and intimacy.
1: So they're feeling like they're if, the more vulnerable they are, the more power they're they're giving up. Is that what you're hearing? Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it certainly can be, I mean, you know, that's why it's so important to be with somebody that you trust and you care about and that you love that you are committed to because, uh, you know, it's that intimacy and, you know, that, that actually really knowing that person, that understanding that person, that feeling, um, you know, that, you know, that compatibility that, you know, you, you, it's not somebody that would hurt you. And, you know, there was a, a, couple that I had in my clinical practice. And, uh, he said that during intimate moments, his girlfriend called out her ex-boyfriend's name (laughs) and in, in the middle of it, and he let it go. He was, he was embarrassed. He didn't know what to say. And they carried on in the relationship and, and then it happened again. And then the third time, and he said, you know, I really, it really should have been a red flag for me the first time. And, and it really impacted his ability to be vulnerable. And in that situation, she would indeed have power over, over him. And, and so that's why it's so important that the person that you're with, it's a, it's a trusting mutual relationship, that it's loving, that it's caring. And if there's any red flags, you know, maybe it's not the one.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's good insight. And and in terms of, so in terms of the power dynamic that we ideally want to see within within a within a couple who has a healthy sex life, what does that actually look like, and how do we start to create that dynamic?
1: Well, it's you know it starts with communication. It starts with being open, telling the person who you are, what your needs are, what your desires are, uh, what your fears are, what your pleasures are. You know, so it's really having uh, conversations around, you know, the, the person that you are and the person that you want to be with. And it's, it's really being authentic and being genuine expression of feelings, being self-actualized. Only about 10% of people are self-actualized in the world. And so that they're actually working to their optimal. They are at their best. But you know what? That takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of resolution of, of one's childhood. And you know, even if you had the most perfect childhood, there could have been issues in your childhood that you will likely bring to your relationship. Your health, dealing with your health issues. A lot of men uh, have erectile dysfunction. They expect that to have a healthy relationship without addressing, it may be psychological erection function issues or it may be physiological but they don't address them, and they still carry on and expect that it's extremely disrespectful, not only to yourself because it could be a health issue, but also to the person that you're having sex with that you expect them to have sex with you. I've had a number of men say, you know, why won't you perform oral sex on me? But they have a flaccid penis. I mean, I'm being, you know, quite uh, quite graphic here, but. You know, these are real issues that happen to real men because real men are afraid of their feelings. They're afraid, you know, if they mention it, that, you know, then you'll notice it. But but somebody's going to notice a flaccid penis. (laughs) A woman is going to notice that (laughs) and then, you know, kind of get turned off by it. You know, keeping yourself healthy, like abdominal weight, biggest turnoff for women. I hear it all the time. My husband gained weight in his stomach. It's really a turnoff. I don't want to have sex with him. I'm not attracted to that. That's not the man that I married 20 years ago um, or, you know, consumption of alcohol. Are you numbing your feelings using substances, recreational or, you know, um, illegal substances, you know, or daily or whatever? Um, you know, so there's so many things that come into play and it's really that will prevent your play, (laughs) um, that, you know, come into play that contribute to a healthy, mutual, consenting, satisfying, pleasurable relationship.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think you touched on a a couple of really important things there that I think that we should dive into. And it's, you know, I I think that, that erectile dysfunction for a lot of guys, like, you know, we, we have a community of men that's like 4,000 strong on, on Facebook and, and uh, it was interesting because you know I said I was going to be interviewing you, and I asked what types of questions that that they wanted to wanted to talk about, and I, I probably got like twenty or thirty responses from from guys with really interesting questions, and we'll probably dive into a few of them here. But but one of the interesting things was is that only only one one or two asked about erect, erectile dysfunction, and then a few of them actually messaged me personally and and asked about that. Yeah, and and I was like this this is how. This is how sort of like taboo the subject is amongst men, right? Like they, we, we just don't want to talk about it. Like we don't want to talk about uh, a poor performance or if there's a health issue or, you know, if, if we're struggling in that way. So, so let's talk about erectile dysfunction. What are some of the con- contributing factors to it?
1: Erectile dysfunction, let's define it first. It's the inability to attain or maintain an erection adequate for penetrative sex, it's sometimes referred to as impotence, and everybody gets occasional erectile dysfunction. That's not uncommon. You can have psychological erectile dysfunction where you just lose it in the moment because your whoever you're with has said something, or you know, an, an, an argument has ensued, or whatever. But you know, it's too bad that men associate erectile dysfunction with their masculinity because a lot of men do, and that prevents them from getting help. Uh, getting help. Because frequent erectile dysfunction can be a sign of health problems that need treatment. Uh, It's the canary in the coal mine. And so it's often the first sign of heart disease or cardiovascular disease or diabetes because it's about blood flow. And so the vessels in the penis are smaller than the vessels in the heart and the ones in the brain. And that's why it appears in the penis first. Young men experience erectile dysfunction older men experience erectile dysfunction. And so there's a number of contributing factors, sedentary lifestyle, smoking pot, alcohol consumption, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, You know, lots of different reasons for erectile dysfunction. Prostatectomy, post-prostatectomy surgery for prostate cancer uh, can lead to erectile dysfunction in men. Uh, but, but mainly it's around blood flow. Uh, So it's very important. It can be the result of stress. And I did want to address stress as well for both men and women. We live in this high, fast-paced, instant gratification, stressful, competitive world um, that people are getting tired, they're getting overwhelmed, and that can lead to erectile dysfunction as well. And that means trouble getting an erection, reduced interest in sex, um, difficulty maintaining an erection during sexual activities, and those are the symptoms. If you you know if you regularly have those, you may have erectile dysfunction. It can also be caused from injuries, like like bike riding, can um, be a contributing factor, or obesity, advancing age, which I mentioned, anxiety, relationship problems. And cigarette smoking as well.
0: Yeah, I think one of the one of the ones that you touched on there was, you know, you talked about psychological. And one of the things that I see a lot of guys struggle with is what I what I call self referencing, where guys are in in their head to such a degree that they are constantly worried about and thinking about their own personal performance in in such a way that they put a lot of pressure on themselves, and then they start to experience a good amount of anxiety. Even just leading up to intimacy. And so the idea, even if they're in a relationship, like I've got a few clients even right now who, when it comes to intimacy with their partner, even if they've been with them for quite a few years, you know, even, even if they've been with them for a decade, experience sexual anxiety. And so when they go to actually initiate sex, they start to have this self-referencing process that goes on in their mind where it's like, is this gonna be good enough? Am I gonna perform well enough? Is you know, is she going to enjoy this? Am I going to stay hard long enough? And so that whole process starts to happen and then it takes them completely out of their body and fully in, in, into their mind and they're not present for their partner. And, and then they start to experience sort of like a, you know, a a physical numbness in, in their body because they're just so busy, so consumed thinking about the act that they're not in the actual act itself. So, um, yeah, so those some, some very, um, go ahead.
1: You know, one other thing or a couple of other things is, does she really want to have sex with me or is this just duty sex? Because men don't want to have duty sex.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Can you elaborate on that? Because I think that that's important for the listeners to understand.
1: Well, it's this, you know, especially if sex has been a contentious issue in the relationship and and then it's like, you know, the woman says, "Okay, I'll just do it. Hurry up. Get it over with. You know, it's not the most sexually appealing um, way to engage uh, intimately And so a guy can feel like, oh, she doesn't really want to have sex with me. Maybe she's thinking about somebody else. She's just doing it because she has to, um, you know, but she's not going to enjoy it. Therefore, you know, putting more pressure on the man. Um, And and then the man, the man typically doesn't want to engage in sex when it's under those types of circumstances.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think that's great. So just just to stay with just to stay with that, because I've I've seen a lot of, of couples deal with that how how do what do you recommend in terms of actually starting to address this concept of duty sex like maybe let's talk about why it happens first
1: well it happens because there's low sexual desire in a relationship you see more women engaging in duty sex than you do men because men the, the reasons for low sexual desire in men are different. They're low testosterone or substance use or depression. So for women, you know, they may have all the energy in the world. They're able to, you know, volunteer at the school, work outside of the home, do all the housework. But at the end of the day, you know, they're depleted. They don't want to do it. But then they And, and so the men... Can feel used. He can feel like he's just providing the income, or that he's, you know, just there when needed, or that you know life would carry on without him. So especially if sex is infrequent, and then she makes a comment that just says, you know, okay, we'll do it. Hurry up. Let's get this over with. You know, do I have to take my shirt off? Uh, <laughs> kind of a thing. And so a man can be, you know, it's like, what kind of sex is this? You know, people enjoy good sex. As well, So they want mm. satisfying sex. They want pleasurable sex. They want fun sex. And they don't want this, you know, I'm an annoyance kind of sex. And so that can really play on a man's emotions and mind as well. And that, that also has its risks. And people can go outside of the relationship when duty sex is the only type of sex that a couple is having.
0: Yeah, I think that's really great insight. Um, you know, just being able to address again the the communication and and finding, you know, finding times where where both both people can be engaged and I you know, I think that I think that part of the part of the stigma is like, oh, guys just just want sex and so I'll just, you know, get this get this over with. And, and to your point, like, I don't, I don't think I've ever met a man that wants that type of sex, you know? No, but
1: sometimes Um, they have to accept it, Connor. Let's be real. Yeah. (laughs) Life is busy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm a woman. Yeah.
0: Sometimes guys are just like, okay, yeah, I got it. I'll take it. I'll take Um, it any
1: which way I can. (laughs) 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 Talk reality here on Man Talks.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. I'm exactly. This is, these this is, guys, okay. <laughs> this is a no bullshit. This is a no bullshit conversation. Um, okay, so let's let's just move through a few things because I had a lot of, like I said, I, I put this out to uh, the guys uh, in the community and sort of got this, um, you know, very real feedback from them about what they want to know about, and so. Um, so I want to touch on a few, few things before we start to wrap up, but one of them is around, um, premature ejaculation, uh, you know, just reaching orgasm too quickly. So, uh, again, how, from a research, from a clinical standpoint, from a therapist standpoint, how do you define that or what are some of the contributing factors to it?
1: Well, premature ejaculation is uncontrolled ejaculation, you know, sort before you would like to basically. So you're basically climaxing sooner than you and your partner would like, although your partner may want you to climax soon. So they may not be interested in, in you getting help. Um, it can be very frustrating. It can be embarrassing and it can certainly harm your relationship, but there are so many things that men can do about it. And this is also such a common concern for men. And I believe it's the number one sexual dysfunction for men um, but anxiety can t- contribute to it. So men putting pressure on them on themselves to perform uh, may be a contributing factor. And but it's really not known the real reason. But but this, these are some of the things that I have seen. Um, but you know a man's brain chemistry might be partly to uh, to blame for this because men who have low levels of serotonin in their brains tend to take a shorter time to ejaculate. So um, you know we see other emotional factors that come into play here. So uh, along with the low serotonin levels, you may get depression. So men who have depression may experience ejaculation sooner. Men who have performance anxiety, as I mentioned, if there's any type of uh, rumination going on in in a man's head, in particular around guilt, they may experience ejaculation sooner. Relationship problems can lead to uh, premature ejaculation for men as well. So, and and also for men with erectile dysfunction, it can be a problem for men who have ED. And so that's why another reason treating your ED, your erectile dysfunction may make your premature ejaculation go away.
0: Yeah. So, so interesting that all of those things are connected, but you know, the big, the big part of it really seems to be uh, from a psychological stand, standpoint and actually being able to address and talk about some of those issues. I found that. Uh, You know some of the clients that that have worked with me that have come in with relationship problems, and we start talking about sex and intimacy, and you know they start talking about um, premature ejaculation. It's interesting that even just the act of talking about it with someone and talking through the shame and the guilt around it and relieving some of that anxiety and that shame and that guilt in 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 a space can actually alleviate some of that pressure, some of that anxiety, and actually substantially help the issue. So it's, it's interesting to, to sort of hear how much of it is actually psychological. Um, what, what about on the other side with delayed or inhibited ejaculation? Because I know that um, some, some men actually are really challenged, and this is, uh, this is an, an interesting one, but some men are actually challenged just to reach an orgasm, uh, or it takes a very, very long time.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It can be from medications or physical injury or also anxiety as well, or there can be um, an issue. Um, you know, a functional issue as well. I I just wanted to mention, Connor, because so so many men experience premature ejaculation, you know, beyond addressing your anxiety, which is great. Sometimes you still have to do some things to retrain yourself. And so the stop and start method is what I recommend for men who have premature ejaculation. And um, I'm happy to review that if you like. It's it's pretty simple, and men can really change their lives. So, you know, if their life is going well, they don't have anxiety, they still have the premature ejaculation. This is something you can do with your partner, where your partner stimulates your penis until you feel like you're going to have an orgasm, and then you stop the arousal for about 30 seconds or until the feeling passes, you start the stimulation again and repeat. So it's kind of like ejaculation retraining so you you repeat this 3 or 4 times more before you actually ejaculate so that's the stop and start method and then there's the squeeze method as well and that's when you feel like you're about to experience about to ejaculate or experience orgasm and your partner squeezes the head of your penis until you lose the erection, and you repeat that as well a few times before ejaculating. But some men may need anti uh, medications. Antidepressants work, uh, as I said. Treating the erectile dysfunction may work. There's some anesthetic creams or sprays, um, and also pelvic floor muscle exercises can help as well. Wearing a condom, you know. So there's a number of different ways men can treat that, and so they're so embarrassed to ask about it, but they, you know, that they don't understand that there are things that you can do about it. So now onto the delay. Yeah,
0: no, that's, that's yeah. That's I think that's really good insight. And so is, is there a difference between what you're describing and, and edging or, or is that a very similar,
1: very concept? similar concept, you know, and it's kind of like whatever works for a man, you know um, if, you know, and sometimes it can be the combination and sometimes it can be trying one, one day and, and trying something else another day. So edging is about increasing the pleasure, kind of continuing the pleasure. So it's, it's a little bit different, but, but it mm. can certainly help uh, men as well. But in terms of delayed ejaculation interesting uh, which is what you had asked about, if you want to carry on with that, can <laughs> take a long time.
0: All right, so I think that that's those are some really good resources in terms of dealing with premature ejaculation. I think a lot of guys, you know, can benefit from that, and um, you know, maybe we can put some links in the show notes around um, just some articles to sort of go over a few of those things because uh, I think that that would be very beneficial. Uh, and and maybe we can just circle back around uh, delayed ejaculation because I think some men struggle with that as well. And uh, maybe you can give us some more insight into what causes that and, and how to actually um, manage that.
1: You know, this is another very common medical condition for men. It's, it's also referred to as impaired ejaculation. And that means it takes a long period of sexual stimulation, typically longer than 30 minutes, for a man to ejaculate. And and in some cases, ejaculation isn't achieved at all. And many men may experience this from time to time, but for others, it can be a lifelong problem. It doesn't pose any serious medical risks, but the biggest thing is that it is a tremendous source of stress and can also contribute to problems in your sex life and personal relationships. So, you know, it's, all, it's very important uh, to get the, this treated. And the way you treat it is to find out what the potential cause is. And so they can be psychological concerns, chronic health conditions, or a side effect of a medication. And, um, you know, there's also some of the psychological causes of delayed ejaculation can be because of a traumatic experience. And also cultural or religious taboos give sex a negative connotation. And so that's why anxiety and depression can suppress sexual desire. And that may lead to delayed ejaculation in men. And, and, you know, this is like the start of the problem. And then because it, you know, it's like a catch 22, you have relationship issues, poor communication, anger, and all of this can make delayed ejaculation worse.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And, um, you know, is there any correlation there? I'm just curious about this, but is there any correlation there, um, between delayed ejaculation and and circumcision?
1: you know, I haven't actually seen any literature on that at all. Um, mm. it's really, yeah, I, I, haven't, um, I haven't seen that, but, but what I have seen is, which is why I'm a conservative, uh, med, you know, treatment measures and So I believe in conservative treatment measures before medications. And so, Antidepressants, which so many people are on, and that's kind of the first thing they go to. But often people do need uh, antidepressants. But you know, a thirty-minute walk every day is is as equally effective for mild to moderate depression as any antidepressant. Antipsychotics can lead to delayed ejaculation. Many people need antipsychotics, and so it's it's important that you don't stop your medications, but that um, you make sure that you're living as healthily as possible. Medications for hypertension, which is another very common medical condition in men, and that's why it's important. Men know their blood pressure, but there's ways to reduce your blood pressure before you need to take an uh, anti-hypertensive medication. Diuretics and also alcohol. Many men consume alcohol to numb their feelings, and that can lead to delayed ejaculation. And there's also trauma, surgeries, heart disease, thyroid Neuropathy—you um, know—damage to nerves in your spine or your pelvis can lead to it as well. So there's a number of contributing factors.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So there's a there's a lot out there, um, and it sounds like you know a, a course of action is to start to really understand um, you know your own, I guess, your own psyche, but but to seek seek some guidance on on this front is what it sounds like. But you know, Absolutely. in between yeah between premature ejaculation and and delayed it sounds like e- either way um you know finding somebody to guide you is very important
1: and all of it re- depends the treatments for both of them depend on the underlying cause so just put your problem on the table know what the cause is and you'll be able to make great strides in the bedroom
0: great and then you know i think just because we're going to we have to wrap up here for for time but one of the things that i uh, wanted to end on was exploring a little bit around what we were talking about before which which is um, your female orgasm and as you mentioned before you know there are uh, generally less women that that climax in in terms of relationships and um, and, and so I, you know there's a number of things that we've touched on as to why that happens um, but what from your perspective you know having been in this field for quite, you know quite a while what what do men need to know about the female organi- uh, um, orgasm that they might not already know
1: well um, that the the size of the clitoris is actually you know comparable to the size of the penis <laughs> it's actually <laughs> a large amount of tissue and women's clitorises have 8000 nerve endings whereas the glands of the penis only have about 4000 Nerve ending. So the clitoris is um, a very important sexual organ. And the orgasm for women is the peak of sexual excitement. It's that powerful feeling of, of physical sensation and pleasure. And it, you know, you release a, an accumulation of erotic tension. And so what men need to know is that about 70% of women require clitoral stimulation to experience orgasm. Orgasms have multiple potential health benefits because of the hormones and other chemicals that are released. And orgasms don't only uh, occur during sexual stimulation. Um, And also um, because the brain is clearly the, the largest sex organ. And so there's a tremendous connection between the brain and the genitalia uh, for women. And, and also, you know, for very, only 30% of women can experience orgasm with penetrative sex. And they may be able to experience orgasm with Johnny, but not with Billy. And, and so it's different for uh, different women, but stimulation of the clitoris for many women is critical. And you know, it's it's not that a man can make a woman have an orgasm. It's really uh, the woman has the power um, for her orgasm, and it's 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 very critical as well in terms of satisfying sexual events. Uh, you know, it's part of the female sexual response cycle. There certainly are many health benefits. There's a number of different types of orgasms that women can have uh, pleasure orgasms, blended orgasms, multiple orgasms. That's something we've cornered the market on. Um, and so, <laughs> and women also have fantasy orgasms. As I said, one doesn't need sexual stimulation for that. So a man isn't to feel badly if a woman is experiencing difficulty uh, it, you know, with having an orgasm. It can be related to hormones. It can be related to stress. So she can have a delayed orgasm as well, or it can be harder for her to experience. Orgasm. She may be having uh, perimenopausal symptoms, or menopausal symptoms, or being on the birth control can lead to vaginal dryness that may affect a woman's orgasms. So, but it's important that a woman experience orgasm, that it is mutual. You've heard me say that word throughout our conversation, Connor, and and mm-hmm. that is it's sex is just as much for women as it is for men.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would love for you to just elaborate a little bit more on um, you know, the, the women have the power with their organ or orgasm. I would love for you to just unpack that a little bit more for the listeners.
1: Well, you know, it's, it's around, um, how women have been educated about sex and sexuality and sexual desire and sexual shame and slut shaming. we have so many names for women who enjoy sex, you know, it's nothing more, uh, you know, using the term slut or whore or tramp, you know, Really, you're actually just insulting a woman who is in touch with her own sexuality and sensuality, and they have no place in the dictionary. Um, and and so, and it's you know, it's a woman to understand her own sexuality, to feel she has a right to desire, to feel that she has power over her body and herself and her sensuality in the bedroom. You know, empowers her, and to be respected for that, and to be. Uh, to ensure that her pleasure is respected and um, you know is exalted if you will like it's it's extremely important and I don't think women have gotten that message that that sexuality is critical for them and that sex is for them too and I'm you know in this world in which we live of of patriarchy and and male violence against women um, you know, uh, the woman who can be respected in her workplace in her bedroom in her life um, on the street and and can enjoy her sexuality and determine her own sexuality and state her pleasures and state what she needs you know is is truly the empowered Woman, that's that's really what it's about, you know. Um, life is never going to be perfect for any woman. We all endure sexual harassment and unwelcome comments and 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 emails and and invitations of of a sexual nature that are that are unwanted. Um, but for her to be able to rise above all of that, um, you know, is is extremely powerful.
0: Mm, yeah, and you you mentioned before, you know, the brain being the biggest sexual organ in the body, and and it seems that. You know, just from what we've talked about here, and, and from what I know, um, just in, in my own work and my own research, is that that for uh, even like just like for women, almost even more so, that psychologically, um, sex is almost more of like a a, a psychological thing. And then it can be incredibly arousing, as you as you mentioned, like women can orgasm through fantasies, and and you know don't even need to have penetration or have stimulation in you know clitoral stimula, stim, stimulation in order to reach that climax. So, from from your perspective, like what do what do we as guys, what do we as men need to know around women's sexuality when it comes to that power dynamic, when it comes to that dynamic of Um, you know, being aroused psychologically first? What does that that actually look like?
1: You know, um, foreplay begins long before a woman gets into the bedroom. And it's about treating a woman with respect. It's about caring for that woman. And it's not uh, ever uh, using anger or violence in any way. Uh, It really, men need to get their anger in check. They need to get their use of substances in check because alcohol can fuel anger as well. Um, Men need to take responsibility. And, you know, women need to do all of this as well because women can get angry in an unhealthy fashion also. But if we're strictly talking about men, you know, men need to get in touch with their feelings. Men need to take responsibility for when they make a mistake. It's okay. You don't have to be the perfect guy. You know, as long as you understand the mistakes, take responsibility and work to improve on that. Um, You know, realizing that um, there are certain things beyond one's control, Um, you know, not trying to control women in an unhealthy way, being respectful of women in the workplace, in the bedroom, at home, on the street, demonstrating that, you know, dissing this boys will be boys kind of thing and putting all of this malevolent behavior under one category, that oh, we're just going to dismiss them. We're just going to allow them. You know, we we've seen cases where you know men have raped unconscious women, and the judge will say, oh, we don't want to ruin his future. Well, you've ruined that woman's life. You know, and now we're seeing a case where you know, oh, just because in the past he behaved like that, does that affect? Does that need to affect him for the you know for his career? Well, you know, we really have to be. I understand that men all women want is equality, equal access to childcare, health care, jobs, advancement in the workplace, and to be respected and to own their sexuality. And so I think if you approach a relationship in that way, dealing with your baggage, getting in touch with your feelings, admitting to your mistakes, maybe treating women poorly in the past and making some changes around that you know, when, when your wife or your partner says to you, I don't like the way you, whatever, listen, hear it and make the changes.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, I think it's, it's interesting and very timely right now, especially considering that in the mainstream media, you know, there's the Bill Cosby just got sentenced, you know, three to three to 10 years for, you know, his, his misbehavior, his misconduct, his abuse of, of women and, you know, there's the Kavanaugh case right now, and you know we've seen Trump be accused, and uh, the whole thing. Um, but I, I do think that there there is so much validity and in, in just this conversation, and and what you're saying, because there there's so much more potential in in terms of real, true intimacy within a dynamic when two people can work on healing themselves and, and admit when they're wrong. And to respect the other person, you know, and, and to respect the other person's desires and fantasies and, and to come from a healthy place. I think one of the big challenges that, you know, we didn't touch on this, but I think one of the big challenges is that people often will sexualize their trauma and they'll often, you know, sexualize their trauma in such a way that they start to fantasize about it. And it usually dictates the type of porn that they watch or the type of sex that they think that they should have. And that's a, it's a very slippery slope, and so I think what you're saying is, you know, really being able to respect your partner, and and being able to own your part, and is is a form of leadership that is incredibly attractive.
1: A- absolutely, you know, you bring up Bill Cosby. It's so sad. He's he, granted he's 81 years old. He is out on bail. He's under house arrest. He could have been hit with, uh, you know, 30 years behind bars. Each one of those. Counts on which he was found guilty of aggravated indecent assault. He could have gotten 10 years. He's getting three years behind bars. He could live another 10 years after that. You know, what kind of message are we sending out that a, a violent sexual assaulter, um, he's, a, he's, he's classified as such, uh, is going to get three years and maybe he'll get out early for good behavior. Who knows? We're very lenient on some of these cases are, and, and most of the cases are deemed unfounded. Most of the rapes and the sexual assaults, you know, so few women report, um, will actually come forward. They are shamed. They have death threats placed against them. Uh, you know, it's, it's such a sad day when, you know, I think a lot of it is related to men don't want women in the workplace. Men don't want women on the golf course. Men don't want women in the gentlemen's clubs. Men want women in the kitchen and in the bedroom. And, you know, times have got to change. That is not equality. That is not what men want, really, when they think about it. And it's certainly not what women want. We want fairness in the world. And we want to be able to get along respectfully and doodly and mentor mentor each other and help one another Um, because, you know, men need women and women need men, but on a level playing field.
0: Yeah, I mean I think it's a, I think it's a both end, you know, situation where I I see a lot of men that that do want those things. You know, they do want to see women in the workplace and and in all of those places and I, I think that it's a huge transition where a lot of men and a lot of women are now having to discover what it looks like to actually be in those situations, be in those power dynamics, see those relationships shift and change and like know how to actually communicate and deal with attraction and deal, you know, deal with a lot of these scenarios and situations that come up. So it's a very, it's a very interesting time that we find ourselves in. And, you know, I think that the, the, the movements that, need to happen are happening and you know progress is is sometimes slow. Um, but I think that these types of conversations are incredibly important because the more perspective uh, that that we can give both men and women, the the more understanding, the closer that we come together. So I really appreciate uh, you Maureen, and and having you on the show today and some of the advice and insight that you've given our listeners on on a healthy sex life and uh, intimacy and you know overcoming some of the dysfunction that That so many people face within sex and intimacy and relationships. And, um, you know, if there was anything else that you would want to leave couples with, uh, especially any, any sort of advice or, or insight or direction around having a healthy sex life, what would you want to leave them with? Well,
1: you know, I want to go back and thank you again for your tremendous work around man talks, because I think, you know, we talk a lot about advancing the progress of women, and that refers to in, in the workplace and in society and in healthcare. But I really think what we need to do is advance the progress for men. Men are in, in having tough times right now, in part because they've been socialized not to talk about their feelings, not to ever take responsibility for anything, to be in this brotherhood, which which can be great in many ways, but it can also be very damaging in many ways as well. And so I say, you know, cut away from the mold you know, and talk with your partners, allow your uh, male partner to to cry, to talk, to be vulnerable, to be open, to share, you know, be with somebody who allows you that gift to talk openly, to share your fears and your feelings as well. And that you don't have to ascribe to this sort of false masculinity um, where, you know, power over somebody is what you believe to be the only way. Uh, there's I think men want to live and, and most men are good. And this is one of the problems that probably the men that are listening are, are all good men, you know, great men. But it's but if you're having trouble in your life, know that there is, uh, you know, there are many options for you to actually live a more comfortable, more peaceful life, a life without drugs or alcohol, a life without uh, abusing people. Uh, women in your life, because that can be addictive as well. Or you can think that's the way I grew up. That's what I was taught. Or for women, if you're with a man who is treating you that way, you know, it's, there's, there's a better way. There's a healthier way. And that's ultimately, I think what we want in the world and what you want a peaceful relationship that's respectful and mutual so that you can teach your children, if you have them, that this is the way uh, to, uh, to enjoy life. This is the, the beautiful life in which we've been granted. And this is the way to live.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. I always say, "Heal the father, heal the family," and I think that, that that sentiment goes a long way because it, you know, it also supports the it supports every aspect, you know, of the community of 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 the society of the relationship. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining me today, and um, I, I really appreciate it. For everybody that's listening, uh, you can check out the show notes to uh, learn more about Maureen and her work, uh, and we'll have a link to her TED Talk in there, which was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and don't forget to forward to share this podcast episode with just one person, I would strongly recommend that you sit down and listen to this with your partner, especially because it might bring up some great dialogue for the two of you to have. And I know that there's a lot of couples that tune into this podcast. So thanks to the Thank you to those that do, uh, and uh, don't forget to leave us a rating and review. It goes a long way. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.